welcome to my podcast. I'm your host, Jen O'Sullivan. My desire is to help you on your personal wellness journey. You can find more of my resources over at jenosullivan.com and also 31oils.com. All right, let's get started. All right, so I'm looking forward to this topic just because there's been a lot of confusion, uh, myself included. I went for years not truly understanding the the idea behind different alcohols and, uh, you know, you just assume that an alcohol is an alcohol and that, you know, you could substitute one for the other. Uh, even specifically, um, in my book, French aromatherapy, I did some recipes that were specific to, um, fragrance making and talking about just using general vodka. Um, I have seen recipes out there for making a Lysol type spray using general vodka. Um, as we're learning more and more about this, we now understand that doesn't work. Um, in my own research of trying to make perfumes with vodka, I've realized it doesn't work. Um, and specifically trying to understand why and what the differences were and why the solubilization of it wasn't actually happening. So that is sort of a specific topic for another another time, but I wanted to touch on that because part of the confusion stemmed from all of that, from many of us trying to make perfumes and spritzers and sprays and different things that would cause um, to, to help basically our essential oils to solubilize. Uh, so, so I'm going to give you a lot of facts and a lot of actual resources in my show notes as well. But let's just start off with the biggest confusion, uh, the difference between ethyl alcohol and isopropyl alcohol. So isopropyl alcohol is is isopropyl, not isopropyl. I know some people pronounce that wrong. Um, But again, it's just something for us to kind of get terminology right. You guys all know that I butcher words all the time. So I'm constantly mispronouncing things. But I did post a while ago about who recommended right the who the World Health Organization, and what they recommend when it comes to, you know, surface disinfecting. And that is specifically what we were talking about was surface disinfecting. Uh, We were talking about making your own hand sanitizers, um, literally just trying to understand how to disinfect a surface. And the recommendation from the CDC and the WHO is specifically to use ethyl alcohol, right? And the concentrations must be in the usually 60% or above. It's better if you're in the 75% and above range. And so running out and buying 40 proof alcohol like vodka will not do it. So when you understand what proof is in an alcohol, a proof would relate to the percentage by double. So a 40 proof vodka would only be a 20 proof alcohol, right? And normally it's a, so it's normally an 80 proof, like you can pretty much find 80 proof vodka uh, to drink. And that would be a 40% by volume vodka or alcohol, which means there's 40% alcohol, ethyl alcohol in the case of vodka, because it's consumable. And the rest would be water. So water and alcohol mix really well, and you don't ever have to shake it. It just, they mix and it is good to go. But when it talks about by volume, that means your total structure. And so if you're looking at isopropyl alcohol, right, and how we understand that, um, 
again, we're going, I'm basing it off of recommendations for from the CDC and the World Health Organization. And the only way to make your own sanitizers would be to follow their instructions, which are specific. Okay, that being said, um, people are really confused by this because there's been a lot of kind of controversy around isopropyl alcohol being toxic. So I want to dive into this and help you understand where the misunderstanding of this occurred so that we can really understand why it occurred and what what is the issue here. All right. So if we were to look at some of the scare tactics that are used when it relates to even essential oils, it's when something, someone or a dog or an animal or a human being consumes massive amounts, right? You see this really only in large, large doses when there's any sort of toxicity levels. All right. So if you're to do some research, which I have been doing for the past week, okay, research, research, research on isopropyl alcohol, toxicity, how it happens, the majority, like 98%, if, if you go and look this up, you're going to find the same results, like around close to high 90s in that percentage rate, it is based on consuming it. The toxicity levels happen when the alcohol, the isopropyl alcohol, rubbing alcohol, is consumed. So I want to help you understand the other small percentage of potential toxicity that has been really overly noted, in my opinion, when it comes to like the kind of freak out. Okay, so my goal here is to get rid of some of this hype with the many of you. So first of all, I want you to consider what what is isopropyl alcohol? How is it made? It's a very simple a thing with um, really just three ingredients. Uh, it's it's a fo- from fossil fuel and water. So there's this sort of potent, this kind of extra stuff that happens after fossil fuels are burned and, and they're creating different things. And you get a molecule called propene. Now propene is basically carbon and hydrogen. It's a C3H6 molecule. So it's a very simple propene. You add propene with water and you get isopropyl alcohol. And basically it's that carbon plus hydrogen and then hydrogen plus oxygen. So there's really just three molecules going on here and you get C3H7OH. Okay. So it's, it's an, a, a very simple thing, but it is not to be consumed. And the reason for it is when you consume it, and this is why there's been talk of wanting to change the labeling, right? So if you've got isopropyl alcohol and you have a child that reads that and thinks, oh, my parents, you know, use alcohol to get drunk, <laughs> I could drink this, right? And that's a problem because if, if they think this is alcohol to drink, it's not. And what happens is your liver can't process it. It can process some and what it's doing is it's really almost processing it into like nail polish remover. Like, isn't that weird? Like it's this interesting thing that happens, the chemical reactions of it breaking down. And so what happens is our liver can't process that through. 
So it's not to be consumed. It doesn't taste good either, okay? So it typically is hard to consume. But some people who are alcoholics or children who kind of get addicted early on will just go after anything. And so that's where you hear of deaths. We've even most recently heard of um, isopropyl alcohol deaths happening recently uh, because of the virus scare that's going on in some, I think it was in, in Iran, upwards of, I think, 22 men died because they thought... Again, it was this sort of misunderstanding that since alcohol, like in certain concentrations, can can kill the virus on surfaces, that should then translate right into I should consume it and I'm good to go. And uh, clearly not, right? So this is where we have to understand that the majority, the vast majority of toxicity only occurs with, with consumption, okay? And really not that much. You can consume about... Uh, you know, a glass full and be dead, that could be fatal. And so that's what we want to understand is like, okay, well, then why should we be rubbing this on? Or why is this something we could even use in on surfaces? Because you know how much I talk against other things that are bad for you. And, and we think, okay, there is evidence that people do take this, right, and huff it, right, or sniff it. And there's that um, glue sniffing phenomena, you know, the, the pen sniffing phenomena, it has that same thing. It's the phenols in here that are causing this, or actually technically the alcohols in here, but phenols in other things. So there's two different compounds that cause this, uh, potential high, uh, for the sniffing. And yeah, that can cause headaches if the person is doing it a lot. It can cause, um, fainting. It can cause pretty bad things if you're overly doing that, right? Doing it to excess. And so if we think this through, and so one of the things I'm known for is helping you logically work through something. Where is isopropyl alcohol used the most? It is used in excessive amounts in hospitals, okay? And if you are a nurse, you know this. Uh, the number one use of hand sanitizer in the country um, is Purell. I think 80% of all hospitals use Purell, uh, the advanced formula, and it contains both ethyl and isopropyl alcohol. The other thing about isopropyl alcohol is that it is used to kill anything on surfaces. They disinfect all of their tools and knives and all the stuff that is used with isopropyl alcohol. So if that's the case, wouldn't we then start seeing lots of toxicity, inhalation and possibly even topical to toxicity amongst nurses and doctors? And we just don't. We don't see that. The various studies that I have been able to pull up is when there's a massive spillage, right? When a company that produces this stuff um, has a spillage or something happens where the person who is dealing with it is not is around it constantly because this does evaporate really quickly. And so if you're around it constantly and you're constantly breathing in the fumes, then yeah, you're going to have some neurological issues, some nausea, potentially irritability. There's even um, no notations of like suicidal effects. But again, when you read those studies, it's usually consumption-based. It is not inhalation or topical. And so the whole freak out of this to me is a little bit 
uh, come on, you guys, like think this through logically. We don't have doctors and nurses falling down all over the place uh, with nausea. They're, you know, they're irritable probably because of their work, you know, the work amount of work they do 40 hours, right? They're just constantly working 10, 12 hour shifts. Um, But as far as poisoning through skin contact or inhalation, it is very, very seldom that this would happen. And it has to be because of massive amounts. Same thing with essential oils, right? We see toxicity only when there's massive dosing. And all in all, even if you look at the EWG, they don't look at this as toxic. It it scores very low too, okay? So it's not something that in my mind is a big deal. So when I posted how to make your own hand sanitizer, I'm basing it off of the World Health Organization's recommendations, and they're giving recipes, and one recipe will have ethyl alcohol, which is consumable and much better for you, and another recipe will have the isopropyl alcohol. So I just want you to consider that the extreme difficulty to have actual poisoning happen from this. So again, um, you know, if we look at even Young Living, the recommendations on our diffusers is to use rubbing alcohol to clean our diffusers. Um, that is the only cleaning substance that will not void your warranty, oddly enough, right? And so again, it's it's a very safe thing. So I do not recommend though making this if you're using it constantly, right? If it's something that you're continually using all the time, it's better to go with a grain alcohol. And everyone's asking me like, what then? Because I've seen some video videos that come up and say, just get your like cheap vodka. That is not a good idea. Because remember, if it's an 80 proof, that means 40% alcohol, it's nothing. Also, when you're trying to create some sort of perfume or blend or mix that creates a solubility there, meaning the, the elements of your oils actually break down and mix into the vodka, There are no vodkas other than Everclear that I know of or perfumers alcohol and perfumers alcohol is typically 200 proof, which means 100% alcohol and it is always denatured. All right. So we need to understand this. Perfumers alcohol is always ethyl alcohol, which is consumable and it's denatured. Um, it's typically denatured with a compound. I believe the name of it is, um, bitrite or something. It's, it's an actual company that has invented. They actually didn't invent it. They discovered the most bitter tasting molecule on the planet. And that is what it is. And it's a very benign molecule. It's not a big deal. It will never harm you. So if you find that that is what it is, um, and I, again, I will put the links in here for you guys to see and be able to have that. Uh, but you can find perfumers alcohol, like on Etsy, and they will list the ingredients for you. You're just looking for, um, you know, the 200 proof, but you will always find small amount of like a really small amount, which won't cause any problems for anybody of, uh, actual denature denaturing agent. Okay. So what I love about young living is that we are using pure ethyl alcohol with water. So it, the whole entire thing is going to be, um, at 75% or 65%. And in some cases, 60, I'm not sure I think they've changed the recipe a little bit, but hand sanitizer, I believe is at 65% by volume, 
which doesn't mean they purchased 65% alcohol. They used 100% ethyl alcohol. And then the other ingredients in there, right? There's other aloe vera. There's other ingredients in there that are adding up to the other percentages. Um, so when you're trying to make your own thing, you have to consider the total amount, the total sum of its parts. And so mm -hmm. if I were to take this grain alcohol, which is 120 proof, this only gives me 60% ethyl alcohol by volume already here. And if I mix this now with a bunch of like, some people are giving like really bad concoctions of, you know, aloe vera gel to like a grain alcohol at 120 proof, you've just made this like 50 or 40% by volume because you've added some other substance in there to add moisture to your hands, but it's not going to work the same. So the only way to use this specific one, the 120 proof would be to leave it alone. And if you want to put some essential oils in there for fragrance, you can, <clears throat> right? So that's something to consider. The other thing is some of you have access to the 190 proof alcohol um, by Everclear. Not all states can get that. I'm in California, so we're not able to get that. But you could use that. So, you know, either going after the, the perfumer's alcohol or the actual Everclear um, consumable alcohol is up to you. But <clears throat> I just encourage you guys not to be making your own things. And I encourage you guys to understand what we're talking about here not to freak out about things, um, but also remember proper cleaning techniques, right? So many people don't really understand that you're supposed to, like if we're doing surface disinfecting, you're supposed to put this on the surface and let it sit for like five minutes and then wipe it up. You know, the alcohol will actually disintegrate before then, but that's letting it do its job. I saw a man yesterday at Costco walking around with one cloth, wiping up and down every single um, handle on the freezer aisle just down the row. And we're thinking, what in the world is he doing? All he's doing is spreading disease because you're not, he's not, you know, you're supposed to spray it and let something sit for five minutes so that it kills everything. Just like wiping it. It's kind of just moving the germs around like, and, and that cloth I'm sure was not wet. <laughs> you know, it's like it probably dried out pretty quickly. And so I just encourage you guys to, to not freak out, but at the same time, understand the difference of different compounds and what they are and how they're used. And if you are trying to solubilize something, I encourage you to read. Um, I'm going to put a post an article on my show notes as well about um, how that works and solubilization and how the molecules of essential oils literally need to break down to be able to solubilize within the actual alcohol itself. And that really only happens when you're using 60% by volume or above. And if you're using 40% by volume, which would be an 80 proof vodka, it won't ever work. And like I said, with my own experiments, I was always frustrated making perfumes because it never, the oils never truly matriculated into the solution to the actual um, spray. So that's all. I want to help you with this, but I also want to make you not worried about anything. Just my recommendation is to go for ethyl alcohol if you can. The point of talking about isopropyl al alcohol when we were doing the first discussion was simply because uh, a lot of you said, I don't, you know, I don't have access to ethyl alcohol. What do I use? And all the stores are out of hand sanitizers. And again, I'm going to say this, and I've said this multiple times on other posts, 
just wash your hands. Okay. We don't, you don't need all of this. You don't need to be making sanitizers and all that stuff. Again, if you did want to make a surface sanitizer because you're out of surface cleaner and you want something natural, just go for a, a at least a 60% by volume grain vodka, which would be ever clear. Um, get the higher one if you can. All right. So I hope this has helped. Please look at all of the links I have provided in my show notes. The reason I I have posted these and I am continuing to do this is so that I'm giving you factual backed up data. I think too many of you are are agreeing with people that you you trust and you like and you feel they wouldn't lead you astray. I am the first to admit that I have inadvertently led people astray because I've researched and learned from other people and other leaders that I respected and thought they must have done their homework. But the problem is what I'm finding is so many people read things with sort of a half blind eye. They read something about toxicity, but don't put two and two together that the toxicity levels only happen when it's consumed, right? With inhalation, Again, as I'm studying this, when I'm looking at inhalation of isopropyl alcohol, I am not seeing overwhelming evidence. I'm not seeing links to any studies. The studies I have seen that I've been able to read through is when there's major accidents that have happened where lots, like a big spill has happened. Okay. And we've already talked about this, but I just want to reiterate some of the stuff we've talked about. So I hope that this has been helpful for you. I hope that this will clear up some things and be kind to people who mess up. I mess up, right? Be kind to people who share information that's wrong or pronounce things wrong. I mispronounce things all the time. Um, if somebody shares a product with you that is is maybe not great, you know, be kind, move forward, uh, teach proper things if you can. And when new information comes up or something that you didn't know, you learn. Um, Let's be kind to one another as opposed to bashing people. Okay. So that's, that's the point of this too. Only because I've seen several posts where people are sort of pitting some of the educational leaders together of like, well, I've heard this person say that, and I've heard this person say that, and I've heard this person say that, and I can't make sense of it. So hopefully this has cleared up this issue, but I'm sure there's other issues out there. And my encouragement to you is just to, to do the best you can with what you know, and always read further. Okay. Read further, read with a discerning eye, you know, really try to pick through things as opposed to just once overing. Okay. Thanks so much. And we will see you guys soon. Bye.